first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he? does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? Uh, the Bruin, definitely formidable. Um, uh, another bear up there, a cow. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Um, or it's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. And then um, the duck, the duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. Uh, the beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the, uh, the ute, again, we're back to, uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that ute's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. And then, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. Um, just as far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo is going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu a buffalo is utterly outstanding. Well, but Butch, Butch is going to have to be clear-minded and crafty. I mean, Butch will, Butch will find a way. There's no question. The Kugel will find a way. Uh, clear-minded and crafty, a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, <clears throat> and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Welcome back. I got Christmas lights outside. I got uh, snow on the ground here in Colorado. I'm looking at Mr. Randy Boone. He's got his longhorn with the sunset behind it, back decorating as well. Where? What is this room? It looks like it's a hallway. Where is this room? It's, <laughs> it does kind of look like a hallway. You're right. Uh, it's my little home office over here. If you, if I pan down, you can see it's where all the Amazon boxes that I have to wrap um, are located. Ah. But yeah, it's a little little tiny little home office that we set up. That's, oh, wait that's a second. One, one piece of art. This is smart. Wait, so these are your gifts that you're giving? You ordered these gifts to your home, but you're giving them to other people. You did not order any of those gifts. Uh, <laughs> my, my wife does the Christmas shopping. Women be, shop been, women be shopping? Trouble. I was already in trouble for leaving the door open, and one of the kids might have got a glimpse of one of them. So, uh, Got it. All right, but that is smart. So you're ordering the 
you, your wife is ordering the gifts delivered to the Boone household. They're already in the boxes. All you got to do now is wrap them. Yeah, absolutely. Work's right. done for you. Can, can you wrap a present? I can wrap a present. Cor- like correctly or like a guy does? I, I can also weld now. <laughs> those are how, different skills, Randy. How, how well can I do both of those things? Like, yes, you will not be able to see the box through the paper. I, I have also welded things, but I could assure you that if a welder just, had looked at my work, he would yeah, be just, unimpressed. You spend four hours grinding afterward and it's great. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, that's smart. That's a, that's a smart gift. I, I have wrapped presents and it's it doesn't come out well. And I no, also, uh, because there's not a woman in the house, household at the moment, I always, I never have like gift wrap. You know how women just magically always have gift wrap? So I end up using like the funny papers or, you know, random things I find around the house to wrap my presents. Yeah, we, we have a thing that looks like a, a suit hanger. Uh, it hangs on the back of the guest room closet door and it houses the uh, random wrapping paper, scissors. Yeah, my, my wife's she's on it. Is, she, she's, she's prepared. Is she the Girl. woman that's got like an arts and crafts room dedicated in the house? No, no, I don't think she has time for that. But if she had time for it, she might. But no, she's 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 on top of the Christmas stuff and the wrapping stuff for sure. So I, it's funny. I don't know why I thought of this, but uh, one time I was at a company meeting back when I was in the corporate world in pharma. And we're at like one of these resort, ho- you know, like not resort hotel, but like corporate meeting hotels. Like there's like they're hosting three different corporate meetings and you go to your stupid meeting pep rallies in the morning and you break out into different sessions, whatever. I don't know if you have to deal with this bullshit, but no, <laughs> we're taking the elevator. Yeah, you're like, no, <laughs> not at all. So we're taking the elevator down. We're in Orlando, Florida and three smoke show women get on the elevator. Now, but mind you, I have been to a convention for my company at the time where we were there at the same time, staying at the Venetian as the same time as the AVN awards, the adult video pornography, like the Oscars of pornography. Uh, that was interesting too, sharing the hotel with those, those awards, but these, this is different. Three smoke show women get on this elevator and we're kind of looking at them like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good looking women in pharmaceuticals. So we're like, are these three new reps we're not aware of that we just hired, you know, whatever. And uh, we're like, hey, hello, ladies. You know, what what brings you on our elevator, right? And uh, they were there for an arts and crafts convention. Like, (laughs) no bullshit. So they get out and they walk out onto the floor where the arts and crafts convention is. And it's all the women you would expect to be there. Like older women who have like tasseled sweatshirts on and, you know. Uh, it's exactly what you'd expect. A bunch of women named like Meg and Pam, right? <laughs> and then these three freaking hot women walk right in there. They get to their little crafts table and they're doing their arts and crafts. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, my mind was reeling. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry for the aside there, but I had to share that. Never know what, never know what, uh, what people people have up their sleeve ball you never, never know, know. What, you never know what all these hot women are secretly into it's art and cra- arts and crafts well uh we don't have much to talk about do we randy it's been a pretty boring couple of weeks right nothing nothing's really happened slow news cycle <laughs> all right well, let's uh we'll talk about the uh we'll talk about the elephant in the room chris beard obviously we don't know what's going on with that 
obviously one of the great virtues and great vices of social media is you get information right away. Uh, you don't get any context for that information. And I think we're just going to hold off comment until we get more yeah, context. I mean, yeah, until, and, and until, more data. yeah, until everything comes out, you don't know what happens. I mean, it's a, it's a bad situation, regardless, just optics and all that. But and, until you know actually what happened, I mean, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, people are going to rush to their conclusions and this and that. I mean, it, it doesn't do anybody any good. He's under contract that everybody that is on the school side is going to have to stay silent about it until everything runs its course anyway. So you might as well just let it run its course and let everything fall where it may. I agree. Uh, that's certainly what we'll do. Uh, that said, if you do read his contract in terms of moral turpitude and things like that, you can fire someone just for making the school look bad. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to be guilty, innocent or anything in between. So organizational courage as a, as a general rule is, is not very high, <laughs> you know, for most, for most uh, bureaucracies, organizations, and, and Texas certainly is that. Uh, but then also you have to counterweigh that against due process, basic rights, things like that. So I think Texas is going to wait a little while. They've certainly suspended him uh, and they're going to wait a little while to see what happens and to see if there's going to be some interesting information that comes out either direction, damning or not. And then I think they'll make a decision. But I, there are a lot of people who think that this has to wait for a jury trial or something like that. Like that's oh no no Texas Texas could fire him tomorrow. Yeah no they're they're perfectly well within their rights there. It's just I said it comes down to contracts and stuff like that. I mean it's I mean we had, we run into it in, in my line of work. I and mean, there's a lot of times I'd like to act before I'm actually able to just because contractually things are baked in there. But like you said, I mean yeah it doesn't have to have a jury trial, but. You'd still, I think what the university's done so far is is on par with what I would have liked them to do. I mean, you suspend them and you wait. And then at any point in time, if it tips the scales one way or the other, you act upon that info. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, there is a, uh, a weird sort of clamoring of people on social media, Twitter, etc. And I think some of it is sort of almost, I don't know, maybe they like the drama maybe that's an opportunity to, to sort of virtue signal, but there's people saying like Chris Beard should be immediately fired. And it's like, well, you need to actually wait for some more information to come out. Like unless you are privy to something we don't know, a, a mere accusation is not sufficient to, to end someone's no, career and end their life professionally speaking, at least. Yeah. You, I mean, you open yourself up to so much backlash on, on, on the other end. If you, if you act, on bad information and then it flips. So, I mean, it, I said, they, they've handled it correctly so far, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I'm not exactly uh, a huge fan of how Belmont conducts itself at the, at the highest organizational levels. But I, I do think generally speaking, Hartzell and those guys uh, do a pretty good job. And I, I think they're just truly going to wait and see what the information is. And they're going to find out what, what, what really went down. I do know this from having a buddy who's a cop, all cops, despise domestics like, no, it's, you can't you can't win as a, as a if you get called to somebody's house on a domestic you, you, somebody's got to go someone's like, gonna some, go some, someone's coming with you someone's coming with you and 
things can flip on you as the police officer. Yes, very much so. Uh, you know, very he's, so. he's told me that it is like a cliche that you'll go into a domestic situation. I mean, he said the worst one he ever went into was, uh, two gay men and one was abusing the other guy and beating him up clearly. And the minute they started to put that guy, the abuser in cuffs, the guy he had just been hitting on jumped on the cop's back and starts trying to bite him and scratch him because now all of a sudden, how dare you take you know, my yep. man, uh, I mean, pretty crazy dynamics going on. None of that necessarily applicable to what we're talking about with beard, but just saying that those situations get real ugly and the highest incidences of domestic violence, the highest incidence of family violence happen at Thanksgiving, Christmas, new year. So happy holidays, everybody. That's right. That's <laughs> right. But yeah, it's just, I mean, I, it just, I just feel bad for the, the team, you know, it's just, None of them asked to have to deal with any of this crap. You know, they worked hard, put in, put in the time. We're off to a good start, and you know, it's hard enough being a college athlete and navigating holiday season. I mean, your your sport is built around the holiday season, so you're in school, out of school, going home, coming back. Um, you know, you got plenty of stuff to deal with, and you know, hopefully, they're able to kind of wade their way through this and continue a successful season. Watched the uh, probably the most of an entire game I've watched the other night in the Rice game. But, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Coach Terry summed it up pretty good there in the postgame thing. Just a lot of grit. And, you know, it, you knew it probably wasn't going to be their best effort, but they hung in there and eventually got it done. So I'm pulling for them. It's a fun team to watch, man. It really is. I mean, I'm not a – I'm not going to say that I was the hugest Texas basketball fan, but this group is kind of – grab my attention and I'll, I'll probably follow them a little bit more um, throughout the year just because of the way they've played so far. Yeah. Why do you hate Texas basketball so much, Randy? I just never, I never really got into it. Um, they weren't, it was, they weren't really good like a whole lot when I was growing up. They weren't on TV either. You know, it's not like I, you know, grew up now where, you know, I mean, you can watch every single game. Um, but I guess it was kind of the Penders era where, you know, they were, kind of build to be an offensive deal. But I mean, I remember the Chris Clack days, you know, watching that team, but <clears throat> not really. I mean, I'm not really a basketball aficionado, but I know enough about it to be an informed fan watching it to where I'm just not like, oh, look at look at this. This is, looks cool. <laughs> are you talking <laughs> but, about uh, uh you talking about Anderson Trojan, Chris Clack? I have no idea where he went to school, but I remember I, I, Chris, I have Chris an Clack idea was, of where he went to school. But that guy was that guy was the man back in the day. I loved him. He so he went to my high school. He was younger. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was younger than me, much younger. But I knew his older sister, Stacy. And when Stacy was a senior in high school at Anderson, she was the fastest schoolgirl in the hundred meters in the United States. Damn. She could run, I think I, I'm going to mess it up, but I think she could run like an 11, one, 11, two, which it's freaking fast as shit for, I mean, like put it this way. None of the guys on my football team wanted to race her. <laughs> so just leave it at that. Uh, all right, man. Well, we got some uh, real bad news to talk about. And that is the passing of a legend, the passing of a guy that changed college football, truly. Uh, and also one of the most unique and, and coolest personalities ever. Mike Leach 
rest in peace. Died of a heart attack at age 61 in uh, Mississippi. Yeah, it's, that sucks. I, I love that guy. Um, I mean, he he was so interesting in so many different ways. I mean, the football stuff kind of speaks, speaks for itself. But, man, I just – I mean, I, it's every, everything he said was noteworthy or everything, you know, any press conference or whatever that he was involved in you wanted to listen to because you never knew what he was going to say, but it was probably going to be something pretty entertaining. But, I mean – I watched a lot more Washington State football and Mississippi State football than I ever thought I would in my life just to kind of keep tabs on that guy. But, yeah, it sucks. It, I mean, I guess, I mean, several kids and wife leaves behind. It's just a bad situation. Yeah, it's it sucks. I mean, I, I've always loved Leach. I love. I mean, you just there's so many ways you can like him. Uh, one, he was one of those rare guys in football and in life who just looked at how things were done and said, uh, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Why, why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why, why do you have two fullbacks and a tight end out on the field? Why are you trying to make the field small? Shouldn't you be trying to make the field big? You know, and this is a guy who's literally just an attorney, right? <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. he's not steeped in football. He didn't, I don't even know if he played high school football. I, I think he did, and I think he was going to play or try to play at BYU. I think I read that, and he was had an injury or something, well, and then kind of got this way, that. Yeah. He, he's not an he, athlete. No, he, he wasn't going to. Yeah, it, the injury did not keep him from being an All-American at BYU. Let's put yes. that way. So, Randy, you as a as a former athlete, you've, you've probably met your share of guys who've given you the, uh, oh, yeah, you played at Texas. Yeah, I would have played at Texas, but I blew out my knee my junior year. You've heard, you've probably met that guy a few times, right? That the, Those guys are out there for sure, yeah. yes. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think Leach was one of those. Uh, no, he wasn't. I, I, think he, I think he understood his limitations to that. But uh, I think the biggest thing for him is just, he was just unapologetically himself. Yes. And I don't know, there's just something about that to me that is just so admirable because it's really hard to do in this day and age is just, do the do things the way you think they should be done and just say screw it to everybody that disagrees basically well you know <clears throat> it's not a revelation that people act different different ways in different contexts they put on different masks right and i think that janice face nature of man has increased with technology with social media uh with you sort of have you don't necessarily work in your community, right? You're not the, the town blacksmith, yeah, right? You're asked, you're asked to inter, interact with a much larger, um, not a larger group, but a much larger group of groups than previous, you know, generations where like you, you just interact with people that, you know, 50 years ago, you, you would have never probably run into. What it's and it's depersonalized and and you know people now especially if you're famous if you are in sports you have your brand right your brand hundred yes, percent yeah Mike Leach didn't have a brand Mike Leach wasn't aware that he was supposed to have a brand Mike Leach ex- acted like Mike Leach in every social situation and I just think that's incredibly refreshing and I think that's one of the things why people were so fond of him um, and he's obviously a funny guy and. Michael Lewis. So there's all these people going back and, and bringing up all of his old stories and materials. And I mean, it's super entertaining. But did you ever read the New York Times article by Michael Lewis, the guy who wrote Moneyball, uh, when he followed no. Leach around for like a week? 
No, I haven't, but I will now. I'll, I'll go find it right now and read it after we get done. He said that Leach was the most curious person he'd ever met. I find that 100% believable. And, you know, if you talk to people who knew him at Tech or just interacted with him or was around him, he would just ask people, what is it you're doing? What it, oh, and, and then he just talked to a guy for an hour, hour and a half. And, and whatever you were doing with him or trying to get him to the next thing, or we got to go to this coach, or we got to, I mean, you know, college athletics is pretty, pretty uh, scheduled and ordered, right? And Leach would just be like, you know, I'm, no, I'm talking to this guy. He's a groundskeeper. I want to know, like, how do you make grass grow? Or what are the different kinds of grass? And, and he'd ask questions and, you know, he'd get little obsessions, which I, as any man can kind of relate to, he'd just get very into pirates for a while or, Apache Indians or Geronimo or you know, one of his big running things was uh, physical combat. So he would always ask like during a film session with his different teams, he'd stop the film and he'd be like, Randy, right now, you versus Adrian Allen, he's a death match. Yeah. Who's going to win? Yeah. Who's going to win? And then yeah. you and Adrian would have to give your argument for why you would murder the other person. And yeah. And then he'd get the room to offer, like, what do you think about that? What do you think about what Randy just said? And he'd kind of like talk it out with everybody. He would take it very seriously. And then he'd be like, all right, let's go back to the film. And yep. they said by Not the it. end of his, his film sessions, you'd get through about four plays. And it would last two and a half hours of him just monologuing and talking and asking people ridiculous questions. And the crazy thing about it is if he had actually just broken down the plays the whole time, you probably still would have only gotten through the four plays. Yes. He would just talk about <laughs> the four exactly. plays for the same amount of time. And now they only ran like 10 anyway. So, well, but, uh, 10 is generous. But, Holy cow. But I think one of the coolest things that I've heard in the deal was that anytime that he like, you know, he's kind of famous for the little, you know, the notepad that you can hold in your hand uh, play sheet. Um, but a lot of people have, have told the story of like any, any time that he put like two new plays in for the week, two came out. Yeah. Like it, it always stayed very simple and basic and it was just, Hey, we're just going to out execute them, which is, I don't know, it's mind blowing to me, but it worked for the most part. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You just, you trust your guys to, to rep it. And, and the biggest thing to me is, I mean, he, he basically groomed an offensive coordinator on the field. For his quarterback to where yep. I mean you you know you've heard that story time and time again where you know if he had a junior or senior quarterback he was basically like wins right and that, and that was the end of his play call yeah like he called he called the formation and was like all right you're out there you see it better than I do go for it so there's a great article in the athletic about interviewing the Washington State quarterbacks who coach who played under him yes. did you ever read that. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a good Amazing, one. right? And so he goes up after their opener. Like they've already played the game, and he goes up to the starting quarterback and says, uh, Hey, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure this is Mike Leach, too. He's not making eye contact with you. He's, you know, he's got a dip in. He's looking down at his feet. And he says, You know, uh, how many of uh, those plays do you think you audible, you know, in that game? And the, the quarterback is like, I don't know, maybe change two three he goes well, you know grandma harrell changed about 80 90 percent of the plays i called in then he just walked off yep and the, the quarterback is like oh, oh okay so 
Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, so am I supposed to do that? Or I don't like, know. Yeah. Was no, that good? Is that, is that a good right. thing? <laughs> I mean, he sounds like he would be a blast to play for. I, I mean, I would give anything just to have met the guy and talk to him for, I would say 10 minutes, but it, apparently you can't talk to him for 10 minutes. It's got to be at least minimum like 45. So, all right. Well, but, there's uh, so many yeah. great Mike Leach comments and stories, but I got to give you uh, one of them. Um, so this is from the Michael Lewis article in the New York times. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, shucks. I just had it. Ding, dang it. Hold on. Oh man. I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. Flying blind, Randy. That's all right. You can edit it out later. That's right. No one will have to listen to this. Okay. So. Texas, a, this is uh, Texas Tech playing AM in Lubbock. And one of my favorite things was how Leach used just torture the Aggies every year, right? Uh, so Texas Tech is beating AM by 39 points. This is in the Dennis Francione era. And Brick Perry has showed up to Lubbock to watch the Aggies. He's already left the game, they're getting blown out. Leach is trying to take a timeout. So he can run an extra play. That's how much he hates the Aggies, right? So up in the sky boxes, the wife of an Aggie assistant coach insulted every female Red Raider in earshot by saying that at least she lived in College Station instead of Lubbock. When told of this, Leach responded, first of all, we just beat them 56 to 17. By rights, she should now be a Red Raider slave. Um. <laughs> uh, I, hadn't heard, I hadn't heard that one it's pretty good man. by rights this oh, yeah. wife of the football coach at AM should be a red raider slave yeah. based on uh, how badly we beat the team how awesome is that oh man the guy was one of a kind it just that's uh, way way too soon and i just I, I loved everything loved everything about the guy i mean what you know just never a dull moment yeah i i Completely good. I don't know. There's another random thing that popped in my head when I heard the news, but it made me laugh so hard because it's like the kind of thing men do and they really think about like, so my son is nine. He's got a bunch of books called who would win. And it's a bunch of animal fights. Like what, what if a tiger fought a lion? What if a Wolverine fought a Tasmanian devil? And it's, it's got a whole book breaking down the two animals and it gets into the science of them and where they live. And then it gets, and then there's like a fake fight at the end of who would win, right? And when you're a little boy, like you spend a lot of time thinking about shit yeah. like that. Like that's a real thing you think about. And I, I plagued my family with those questions when I was a kid. My son is the same way. But as we grow up into men, we, we feel a little shame in repressing that. And like, you know, a grown man can't just start asking people who would win in a fight between a badger and a sea otter, right? Mike Leach never felt that. And so there's a famous Pac-12 day um, press conference. Did you ever see that? Oh, that's, like, that, that was going to be my favorite moment of his, if you if you'd ask me. But yeah, and so what he kind, starts. What kind of superpowers might a Sun Devil have? We don't. Yeah, even so know. He, he goes and starts, <laughs> but very seriously. Oh, great! Starts breakdown. breaking down. What if all the Pac-10 mascots, Pac-12, whatever it was, fought each other? And he's going through, and he's like, now, you know, a buffalo. That's something. That's a real serious animal. You know, 
Now we got a cougar. A cougar is a good animal. That's a powerful, you know, and then he's like a husky. I mean, a husky is just out of its depth. What's a husky going to do? Like they, you know, that's, that's a beautiful dog, but it has no, you know, has no uh, place in this battle. And then he goes, now the real wild card is the sun devil. Yeah. What kind of powers does a devil have? <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah the, the, he, doesn't, he doesn't crack a smile the whole time. It's so yeah. great. No, he's 100% serious. Like he was legitimately offering a breakdown to everybody 100% serious. But yeah, no, the Sun Devil comment. And then I don't, I don't know. I can't remember if it was actually at that press conference or if somebody just flat out asked him if a buffalo would beat a wildcat. And uh, he was like, mm, probably the buffalo. Cats get tired quick. <laughs> Like just so matter of fact, like that's common knowledge. Like you know, like, cats get tired fast. He, like, he picks. Like, I don't even know if they do or not. But well, not I, only I that, he, him. He, he picks the least likely reason that a cat would lose. Right? Yeah. Size disparity, aggression, yeah. uh, ability to inflict damage. Yeah. And he's like, "No, nah, uh, cats tire out. Everybody knows that." Yeah. It's like, just what? so matter. Of, yeah. Just so matter of fact, like everybody gets taught that in kindergarten. Like, well, you know, if a, you know, if a cat part a buffalo, the cat would probably get tired. <sighs> nice, man. He's it sucks, man. but uh, I think he did it his way. That's for sure. Yeah, he absolutely did it his way, and. Uh, I don't know. Just a unique guy. I, you know, he's a radical in, in the best sense of the word, like someone who alters how things are done. And you know, if you study radicals through history, a lot of them are motivated by as often like narcissistic tendencies or their own desire to, to act on the world and, and be noted for that as much as you know, positive reasons, whatever. And, there, and there's positive radicals and negative radicals, right? I don't want to get into it, but Leach had no like ego attached to anything he thought. I mean, he would sort of entertain whatever you said and be like, well, let's break that down. And he'd talk, I mean, he didn't feel threatened if, if you said, you know, the spread sucks or you run a gimmick offense. He'd just be like, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, why do you think that? I, mean, yeah, I, I think he was just genu- genuinely curious about everything that he heard yeah. and wanted and wanted to know, you know, why that was your, your opinion or whatever, but uh, I don't know. So, so many, so many good sound bites, but sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Well, Mike Leach, RIP. Uh, it's not just the places that you coach that, that are going to miss you. It's anyone who cared about sports cared about people being authentic and genuine to their true selves and just people who are people who are indulge their own curiosity. You know, there's not enough of those people out there anymore. So RIP. De- definitely. Definitely. Let me ask you this before we move on to the next one. Absolutely. So I saw, I saw a deal the other day that the college football hall of fame has a threshold for uh coaching winning percentage, which is absolutely asinine to me that, you have to win 60% of your game. Like if you're going to have a winning percentage, it should be higher. Um, if that's going to be your, your end all be all, but he's at like 597. If, I mean, in my opinion, if they don't make an adjustment to that, well, first of all, they just need to get rid of it. Cause if you affect the game, you deserve to be in the hall of fame. It doesn't matter if your team was crappy and you revolutionized a completely new style of football, but I mean, you got to make an exception for that. Right. So here's the, the problem I have with Hall of Fames in general. One, they don't enforce an, an, a high enough standard. 
So I, I have a real problem with I'm like the NBA Hall of Fame has a lot of good players that have compiled stats for yeah, and they're years. they're good. They're good players. I don't think that's what Hall of Fames are for. Hall of Fames are for like giants of the game. But you you also conversely you can't treat a coaching Hall of Fame the same as a player Hall of Fame. To me, coaching is about your impact on the game, not just accumulation of wins and national titles. And, you know, I said this to a buddy of mine who coaches and he kind of like looked at me askance and then thought about it. And he ended up agreeing with me. And I said, Texas high school football coaches in the 1990s changed football more than any NFL coach of the last 20 years on offense. On defense, the NFL innovates and then it travels downwards. But in football, most of the innovation happens at the high school and college level and travels upwards. And if you acknowledge that, and if you believe it, and I do, then how is, how is Mike Leach not a part of the wing of your hall of fame of innovators or game changers? Maybe he's not next to Nick Saban on the, the Mount Rushmore, but you got to have a wing in your hall of fame. That's about innovation, about changing the game, about altering and impacting the game. No. Well said. I agree. So Emery, Emery Ballard, he belongs in that wing too. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Got to change football. He changed the game of football for 12, 15 years. The wishbone. Yep. I mean, OU was running the wishbone and playing in national title games well into the mid-1980s. Yep. So, and, and, I mean, and the principles of the offense still live on. You could argue the spread is the natural progression of the wishbone. Yeah. They just spread I it mean, out. Yeah. I mean, with uh, Chadwell and them at, you know, Coastal and, and schools like that, I mean, it's, it's triple option offense. It's just, it doesn't look the same as it used to. Hey, I'm going to give you a crazy uh, hybridized offense that I don't know if you'll remember this or even know about it. But for a period of time, when Dick Tomey was at Arizona and they, they were pretty good, they had the Desert Swarm <laughs> defense. Uh, they ran on offense. They had a quarterback named Ronald Veal. And Ronald Veal was kind of a decent passer and kind of a decent runner. He was, he was kind of one of these dual threat guys like uh, Don McPherson at Syracuse. I don't know if you can remember, remember that guy. I, I remember the name. I, I don't remember the, the Arizona guy. I remember the Syracuse guy. Okay. And then later, Donovan McNabb would be like a much more yeah. talented version of him. So Ronald Veal, they put in an offense that was a balanced wishbone. So it was basically like a wishbone backfield, but with two split ends, two wide receivers. So they kind of were on the pioneering side of transitioning into the, like the quote unquote flex bone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They were the guys that, that did it. And, it. and it sort of fizzled out. I mean, they, he was moderately successful with it, but there was this weird transitional phase where you could see coaches trying to experiment with like optionality and space, but they couldn't quite dial it in. And then eventually, I mean, here's another thing. You played the position. I mean, look, I, I played high school football. When you ran into a really good passing quarterback, it was kind of rare. It was a big deal. Like, you know, this team throws the ball as much as they run. Like, if, 
like in our scouting report, if we played a team, like if we, when we played Westlake, Westlake was crazy because they would throw it 20, 25 times a game. That was considered very aggressive and wild. And they do crazy shit like uh, put a running back in motion out of the backfield. And we'd all freak out like, who's got that guy? Oh, I don't know. Um, once you put in the spread, the quality of like baseline starting high school quarterback skyrocketed. Yep. And so you kind of came around where that transition was starting to happen. It, it happened in our, in our area, like right after I left. Cause I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to get into what we ran and all that stuff, but we didn't, we had zero shotgun in our offense and I was begging for them to put that in my senior year. Um, and then, you know, a year or two years later, they're in gun, chunking it all over the place. So, I mean, it, it happened pretty quick once it, once people started to kind of see the benefits of it. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't disagree at all with, with that. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you find those guys and develop them, you know, throughout the, the junior high ranks and whatever. And I mean, you, you have true weapons at the quarterback position at that point in time. Yeah, the spread was like that in high school. So we played one team that ran the spread back in the primitive days when I played. And we crushed them because they didn't know how to run it. Well, and I was going to say, and then you also had the guys that, you know, the head coach comes in because he was at such and such high school and they ran the spread and they killed everybody. And he comes in and is like, well, I run the spread. And they don't have the personnel to run it. Right. And they just get destroyed. So, I mean, you, you see what – it, it takes something to drive that offense more so. I mean, I'm not going to belittle the quarterback position, but it, you can't run a true spread offense with just anybody back there. No. You can run a nasty slot T where your job is to basically make sure you're in the right running play and turn around and let five guys go, and nobody knows who's got the damn ball. Exactly. Well, so I remember the Detmers down in South Texas right? Further south than Yoakum. And they were at these schools and they would go to the playoffs and they'd advance two or three rounds and beat some teams they shouldn't because they were running these proto spread concepts with, with Sonny and, and, you know, and, and Ty and all these guys and not exactly brimming with talent. And I remember distinctly being in high school and our coaches at the time who were not innovators uh, were, were criticizing those teams because they weren't fundamental. Yeah. And I, I remember just kind of listening and nodding because I was young and I hadn't thought about it. But then looking back, they were talentless. These were teams that should have gone literally two and eight, three and seven. And they were going 10 and three in three yeah, rounds no. in the playoffs based off yeah. of the team. Yeah. Every, everything gets labeled as a gimmick, right? Until it, yep. until it kind of takes hold. But um, as a rule, Somewhere on the field in defense and high school football, you probably got somebody out there you're trying to hide more than somebody. Uh, most of the time, it's usually, usually like two or three guys. Two or three guys. Yeah. Unless you're just unless you're one of the guys that, or one of the teams that are about to play this weekend. Um, and there's a reason why they're playing this weekend because they probably don't have too many of those guys. But as a rule, most high school defenses are going to have somebody that you're trying to hide out there you can hide them a lot better against the offenses of old versus the the modern day spread stuff. Cause you put average guy in space versus below average guy in space. 
average guy is going to win. You know, you don't need that absolute amazing athlete to win those matchups. Yeah. I mean, innovation in, in football, innovation in life typically goes, it's like, uh, there's a line in the sun also, also rises by Hemingway. It says, um, how do you go bankrupt? And the line is, well, slowly. And then all at once. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, and that's kind of how innovation works, especially with football. You, you, you get this penetration of it slowly and, oh, Art Bryles is crazy. What are they doing out there? And then in, if you're not doing it, you're an idiot two years later, right? But just that two years before, a lot of those same coaches doing it and saying, of course, this is the way of the future. We're criticizing Bryles and saying this is a gimmick and this isn't going to work at this level because of X, Y, and Z. And yeah, it's interesting. But yep. Leach was a big part of all of that. How Mummy at Kentucky, all of that. You, you can, it's very difficult to point to the one person and say, this is the, like an Emery Ballard and say, wow, this guy created the offense. The spread was a series of iterations, but Leach was one of its main drivers. And he pretty much stayed in spread 1.0. And, and we got to spread 3.0, 4.0, and Leach just stayed running 1.0. Yeah, I think this year he probably ran the ball more than any other year that I can really remember, except for maybe a couple of those tech teams back around the Crabtree era. Because, mm. um, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know, people probably know this, but I mean, you know, Crabtree went nuts his redshirt freshman year because, uh, you know, he missed his first year or whatever. But, um, then the next year, I mean, they ran the ball quite a bit. Like his numbers dipped and everybody's like, oh, see, he's not that good. I'm like, no, he's pretty damn good. Like they just had a different offense a little bit. But yeah, he stuck to his guns. He never really, I think the the success of all the people that came off of his tree speaks to the the value of the system. Yeah. Whereas, you know, he was successful. Riley's successful doing it a little bit differently. His brother's successful doing it a little bit differently. Like, it, it's a system that can be tweaked to, to what you, it, it goes back to my old deals. Like you can't be square peg round hole in college football, this day and age. Like you just, you, you have to take advantage of that, the talent that you have. I mean, you, you can beat the drum all day that I run this. Well, great. It's a good recipe to win for a year and then lose for two and get fired. You know, I think, I'm going to bounce this off you because I just kind of thought of it. Maybe it's maybe there's a, a weakness in it, but ultimately the spread is about principles. And most offenses and most systems in football are about installing the system. So like if, if you consciously decide I'm going to run the veer, here are my plays to run the veer, fullback trap. And then we build a play off of that and we're going to run – uh, pitch out off the fullback trap, or we're going to run a quarterback keeper that goes uh, like a counter off the fullback. You know, it's, you're putting in the fucking veer, right? Yep. When you decide... Now, there are people who take it mechanistically and say, I'm going to install the spread. Here's the, sp the screen game for the spread. Here's this for the spread. Here's my running play for the spread. You could do that, but the next level is understanding the principles of the spread. And you can where you can color outside the lines and add your own color. And that's Lincoln Riley. Hey, I just noticed that you can really run the hell out of the ball, putting in old school Washington Redskins running plays from the 1980s from the spread. 
because of how we can position hash marks, how we can uh, create leverage, how we can threaten people and, and make them scared to crowd the line of scrimmage, how we can make defensive ends kind of paralyzed or make them sprint up field and make themselves irrelevant to the play because they're trying to get a pass rush. And to me, you're, once you adopt and embrace the principles of the spread and the idea of, of space, you're not going to go backwards. It's going to no. color your offense forever more. Right. I, I, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, once you, you bypass the, I'm supposed to do this and you truly grasp the why yeah. you're being asked to do it, then you have the freedom to accomplish the why in different ways, especially on a football field. It's like, Hey, Hey, I'm responsible for this, or, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be, but you know, I can tweak this route. And I know there's going to be green grass over here. And if you've repped that a million times, like spread offenses do, hopefully you and your quarterback are on the same page. And, you know, you're, you're basically a living, breathing thing out there at that point in time, instead of a bunch of lines on a piece of paper. You're an organism. Yeah. Not to bring it back to, to Leach necessarily, but the best part of that Washington state story in the athletic is he's watching film with his quarterbacks and he stops it in like circles the guy goes, you threw it over here. You should have thrown it over here. This guy's open. And the quarterback's like, well, uh, okay. And then after a while, the quarterback starts to realize like, oh, he's not messing with me. Like, this is the offense. It's, yep. it's like literally drop back and throw it to green grass. Like, yep. and then, you know, and, and Leach's whole teaching was, I'm not going to tell you that. You have to figure that out yourself and then you'll own it and it'll be a part of who you are. And I'm not just instructing you, right? Like the, Hey, you know, Graham Harrell used to audible on 80% of his plays and he just walks off and you're like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. why didn't you tell me that? Why didn't you know? Why didn't you let me know I could do that? Right. Well, yeah. I think that's just him understanding how the mind of a 18 to 20 year old works. Whereas if you, Tell them, oh, I'm still that way. If you tell me how to do something, I'm probably going to question you. Might come to, but if you arrive at that conclusion on your own, yeah, it, it's it's a lot better situation than than being told that. If if I want Randy to do a podcast at nine o'clock at night on a Wednesday, I tell him Saturday morning at six a.m. <laughs> That's how we do this. And then he says, "No, man, I'm doing I'm doing middle of the week, late night." And I'm like, "All right, you win, Randy." And that's he's like, right. "Damn it's, right, I win." Well, if, if if that's the way you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to be a winner, you can win fast or you can win slow. But you got to call Gabe Winslow. He's our buddy. He's the guy that has been providing phenomenal service. I think there's probably now, Randy, over a hundred listeners to this podcast that have done deals with Gabe Winslow. If not 100, I think we're getting close. And all of them rave about the level of service he delivers. If you want to reach out to Gabe, you can reach him at 832-557-1095, or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Christmas season, believe it or not, is actually a time when people like to go you know, kick the tires on buying a new house. You got some free time. You can go look at houses. Uh, interest rates coming down a little bit. And uh, if 
in, in that sort of environment, you really need to get the right mortgage guy. Gabe is that guy. He's very strategic in what he does. He's going to partner with you and he's going to look out for your best interests. 832-557-1095. And then if you want to go look at a house and you're in the Centex region, uh, call Laura Baker. She is an award-winning member of the award-winning Andy Allen team at Keller Williams. She's great at what she does. 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. Hey, Randy, I was thinking we've got uh, actually a bunch to talk about, obviously. Uh, are you up for turning this into a two-parter so we don't have a two-and-a-half-hour mega podcast? Yeah, we can do that. Sounds All right. Good. So we're going to... We're going to... I'm yes, gonna sir. go. I'm gonna go. One thing you mentioned, Adrian Alanis, a while ago, and uh, I, this came across my uh, my news feed the other day. I just wanted to defend my guy. Um, it was brought to everyone's attention on Twitter that he went 48 and one in high school, and I had mentioned previously multiple times that he went undefeated in high school. Um, everyone that loss was in relief his freshman year in a tournament early in the season. As a starter, he was undefeated in high school. Don't y'all hey, forget it. Don't y'all forget it. This isn't the this isn't <laughs> love, the love you, bud. <laughs> this isn't the uh, lots of excuses podcast, Randy. <laughs> Andy Alanis was a freshman. I love it. He's 15 years old with braces. Yeah, going out yeah. there pitching varsity. But, but you know what? He lost. He's a loser. I don't care. Won 48 other games, Randy. He's a loser I got, now. I got text messages from people. They're like, "I thought Adrian went undefeated in high school," and I was like, "I thought he did too." Hold on, let me text him. And he's like, "No, yeah, I came in relief this one game." So yeah, for everybody, as a starter, undefeated, absolute legend. Well, I I don't know. Do legends go 48 and one, Randy? They I do. mean, 48 <laughs> wins is pretty good, but he lost. <laughs> Hey, uh, who was the dude at Brenham that was the big deal in high school? John, do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? He was a pitcher. He never lost. Um, he didn't end up becoming like a, a great major league pitcher or anything. He just had great control. He pitched at Brenham. He was a really big deal. Man, they're people yelling at the... At, in their microphones right now. Oh, that's escaping me right now. I don't know. You talking about like my era, your era? Uh, around my era, maybe even before. Um, I agree. I can reach out to Clay or Clay's John dad. I guarantee. Peters. Peters. He, dude, they wrote a giant Sports Illustrated. This is back when Sports Illustrated mattered, and like kids like you and I would like rush to our mailbox and, and grab Sports Illustrated and devour it. Right. John Peters. He had. 53 consecutive wins. He was the first high school baseball player to be featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He played at Brenham High School, later attending Texas A&M and Blinn. So John <laughs> Peters, shout out. I can read up on that. I'm, so, unfamiliar, I'm unfamiliar with that story. Unlike Adrian Alanese, who went 48 and one, John Peters won 53 in a row. Now that's a winner. <laughs> I love that Adrian's only loss was a, as he's like 14, 15 years old yeah, as a freshman. That's yeah, that's great. I just love the fact that it's just like a random, I think that's what day was it? It was Tuesday. What's the day? Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday? I don't care. Wednesday. Wednesday. So it was yesterday. And I just got a couple of random texts at lunchtime. It's like, hey, I thought Adrian went undefeated. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, where's that coming from? <laughs> so. 
Yeah, yeah. I lost the game in relief. If you're a what freaking a, what a, freshman, what a loser. If you're a freshman pitching varsity, yeah, just coming out of nowhere. They're probably and they played some big tournaments back in the day too. They were probably they were probably playing like a four or five eight school in Corpus. Well, do you remember? But, uh, I think it's funny. I mean, you you played at a like smaller designation, but it was still a big deal if you were a sophomore on varsity, right? Yeah, we yeah we were both I guess three A back in the day. Okay, so. but it, but it, like it was a big deal if you played if you started as a sophomore on varsity. That was like a, a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, no, any anybody, you know, that deal or that classification or whatever. Yeah, if you, any any sport, if you you were not a quote unquote upperclassman, that was you know an impressive accomplishment. Can you imagine being a freshman? I was. You started as a freshman on varsity. Yeah, me and uh, me and our catcher actually did. Clayton Stock. Yeah. Well, that's why I write about sports, and that's why you played them, Randy. But yeah, no, there's. Did you ever lose a game in high school? I lost two. <sighs> Loser. That's one, twice as many as Alanis. One to the guy that went forty-eight and one. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't know the results of a Randy Boone, Adrian Alanese, Mike Leach style death match, but we do know what would happen if you guys pitched against each other. That's correct. It, it's, it's proven. It's proven, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been proven that that has been our hour. We're going to actually do a part two here. We'll release them um, separately. So you guys don't have to suffer through a two and a half hour podcast. Although I have gotten a lot of positive feedback from guys who are like, you know, runners hikers doing like yard work they're like i put on you and randy and i just blissed out i worked on my freaking trim my trees for two and a half hours and got it all done and i never like thought i was working i just got to listen to you guys bullshit about sports so we're just we're here to help the people paul yeah we are uh all right man i am going to sign off by us awkwardly pausing silently and just looking at each other and then we'll start another podcast, part two, right after. All right, that will begin now. Coaches, we failed to get through to them. As coaches, we failed uh, to make our coaching points and our points more compelling than their fat little girlfriends. Now, their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. For one thing, their fat little girlfriends are telling them what they want to hear, which is how great you are and how, uh, how easy it's going to be and how, you know, uh, you know, we had, we had, you know, we had a whole bunch of people. Everybody wanted to win the football game, but nobody wanted to play the football game. Well, I, I mean, that defies every level of uh, work ethic that exists with regard to football. And uh, as coaches, we have to solve our failure on uh, on reaching them, and uh, the players have to listen. And I, I'm willing to go to uh, fairly amazing lengths to try to make that happen. I don't know if I'll be successful this week or not, but but you know, I am going to try. And there will be some people inconvenienced, uh, and if it happens to be their fat little girlfriends, too bad. <laughs>